Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exurga Deus dispentur dinimitieus et fugiancio derenteum a faceius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. I suppose one of the good things about this week is as we're in this final, you know, week and a half or so leading up to the election, everything seems to be taking a breath. The outcome of this election in the United States is probably going to be one of the most important turning points for not just our nation, but for the whole world. It is nice to see that the news around the world has kind of taken a cue from that. And while there's bunches of things that are still going on, Rampant crime in major cities, a lot of uncertainty with the economy, the threat of war overseas. <coughs> the fact is, is that this election actually has to play out for good or for ill. We've got about a week's worth of breathing time. Because we've got to find out who's going to be in the Senate, in the House. We have to find out if America is going to have the capacity to dial things back. To strip away the power that has been all too concentrated on one side. I'm not saying things are going to get better. I'm not saying things are going to get worse. But what has become quite obvious in, you know, scrolling across the news is this election has to play out 
before anything starts moving forward. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraesidium. Imperatuli Deus supplicas de precamor, tuque princeps militae calestis, Satana maliosque spiritus malignos que ad preditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute in infernum netrude. Amen. Cor Jesus sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatis Carolus et domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I'm actually kind of happy that it's been a slow news week. It's given me some time to sort of look across. Now, I say it's been a slow news week. Um, obviously, you know, we just had the, the debates... You know, in, in a lot of cases, these are the, the final debates before the election. And I'm not exactly sanguine about the outcome of the election, even actually pretty much no matter what. I told you back in June that the diet has been cast and it's just a matter of waiting. When they finally locked in, uh, in particular, I think it was uh, might have been June, maybe July, um, when they passed the Inflation Reduction Act, it was over. That wasn't the die. It is over, to be sure. But how things play out is actually like the like the path forward and the way things turn out is predicated on the outcome of this election. If as is expected that red wave comes to pass Well, then, obviously, one, we can say, okay, cool, we got a little bit of breathing room. Some, something about the elections do still work. But the administration set up an economic bomb. The president has spent this last week prepping, pre, pre-gaming the explanation why the economy is about to drop into the tank. He spent this last week saying, well, you know, the Republicans, if they, if they regain control of the Congress, the economy is headed for disaster. Wrong. This administration torpedoed the economy, has been torpedoing the economy, but the, but the death blow was the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's simply a matter of time. It's a matter of waiting for all of, for all of the pieces to finish moving into place. Some of the items in the Inflation Reduction Act aren't set to act to go into effect until the beginning of next year. And so the true ramifications of what's about to happen, they haven't hit yet. We haven't seen the result of what of 
all of those all of that legislation and all of the things that the administration and the Democrats in the Congress have managed to set up and put into place. And they did that specifically so that they had a chance to make sure that they got reelected before everything really went to crap. Because they have not turned back from the psychotic ideas that they've been putting forth. Not even a little bit. However, the country seems to have woken up. But like I said, it was a little too late. I told you back in uh, August, September of 2020, before the election, that this nation, if Donald Trump got reelected, had about five or six more years. But if Joe Biden got elected, they have three, that we have three. Well, Joe Biden got elected. And we've seen the path that we've been moving on. And year three starts in just a few months. And all of the pieces have been moved into place. In all honesty, I expected them to have the central bank digital currency ready by this month. Turns out that's not going to be the case. Won't be too much longer. They do have most of everything in place. The system is, you know, it's going to be rickety when they get it started off, but they are going to have to do it here soon. <coughs> They've done everything that they can to reach their goal. And I kind of want to draw a through line through everything that we've been headed to, because all of this looks like chaos. And there seem to be some missing pieces here and there. And in truth, this last week, I found out there were still, there were some missing pieces, some things, in all honesty, I didn't think were particularly important, but do sort of illuminate everything that's going on. If you look at the history of progressivism, if you look, and, and in this country, the history of progressivism obviously only goes back about a century or so. But if you go back a little bit further, you can actually see a through line through history. There were some documents exposed this last week, and unfortunately, you can't just run the Google search to find the to find the memo last week if you would have typed inflation and abortion just those two words into the google search bar you would have come up with a memorandum a, a memorandum that was approximately 100 years old what if i told you that the two-income household was done by design. That it was an original design. That it was actually part and parcel with the first wave of feminism and that it was not designed for women, but in fact designed as a means of population control.
Abortion was supposed to be a secondary thing. However, uh, we do know how the demon, particularly on this podcast, we, we understand how the demons do love child sacrifice. And so, of course, it was going to be a bigger deal. And when I say demons, I'm actually, obviously, not talking about a political party. I'm talking about demons. For those of you who happen to be tuning in for the first time, you're hearing, and you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, what are you doing? What? Child sacrifice was a thing. Throughout human history, everywhere, Christianity was not. Let me say that again. Child sacrifice was a thing everywhere in human history that Christianity was not. So it's no surprise that abortion would become bigger than was initially anticipated, but abortion was originally not part of the program. The two-income household was designed to reduce fertility rates. Because the one through line was always population control. It's one of the major through lines in communism. Because the, the specific control of the population is part and parcel with all the other things that communists want to have direct control over. They actually think they can make the system run more efficiently than God. And, well, I mean, obviously they don't believe in God, so... Well, there's the ticket. The two-income household was designed to reduce fertility rates. That's why women breaking out into the workplace, trying to do the things that men were supposed to do. And I say we're supposed to do because that is what we were supposed to do. A lot of things that people, that people don't really comprehend can be explained. You know, the things you see and you're like, well, we should be able to do this, that, and the other. Um, not necessarily. Here are the things that should be possible. It should be possible for a husband and wife to raise children on the efforts principally of the husband. Meaning, all of the physical material needs should be capable of being obtained by the husband. Now, if that's, we shouldn't be working outside of the house, there, we should not be, it, to be sure, the word husband means housebound. Housebound. That's what that means. And the idea is, is that the husband's work is bound to the house. So he should be, so he should be the one capable of doing the principal portion of providing. Now, of course, in an agrarian society, you're going to get some help from the, from both the wife and the children. And everybody's going to work towards the overall prosperity of the household which principally involves maintaining the house, providing the food, clothing, etc. All of those things typically 
throughout human history were internal to the household. And that is the way things are generally supposed to be. We're not supposed to go off into cities and work in a cubicle separate from the family all day. The two-income household was designed, it was a scam. It's all, actually, everything that is progressive has always been a scam. Most people today, whether they want to admit it or not, understand that the root of happiness for men and women is family. For women, it's, it is actually the rearing and raising of children. For men, it is actually the leadership of the family, of the, of the wife and the children. There isn't a man out there who doesn't want to come inside their to come inside their house at the end of a long day and be greeted by his wife and children I can't speak specifically to how it works with the women with with women but I know that as a man there is nothing more fulfilling than you open the door and your children come to greet you and you come in to the wife who's busy doing some such or other, and you embrace, and you kiss, and you talk. And the kids are doing whatever, trying to get mom and dad's attention, etc. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than the family than coming home to a family. To people who are of, you know, to mixed levels, depending on what's all happened that day and, you know, the sort of mistakes that you made before you left the house that morning, happy to see you. There's nothing better than on a weekend in, a, in you know, early fall, a large family get-together around the grill. The older men playing cards. The kids playing games like hide-and-seek in the yard. The women in the kitchen, the men around the grill. Don't ask me why that always seems to go that route, but, you know, I do come from a large family and the women were always in the kitchen even though the men even though the men were actually doing, you know, the cooking of the entrees, the women were still in the kitchen. Don't ask me why. I don't I don't make the rules. I don't have anything to do with the rules really, but in the large family get-togethers that was always the way it was. 
And then later when, you know, all the food stuffs are done after everybody's done eating and, the men, and you know, the drinks have come out and the men are sitting around the table playing cards, smoking cigars, drinking beer, and the kids are still out playing in the yard. And the women are gathered around together. There's nothing better than that. than a household of 20 or 30 people filled with, like a home filled with 20 or 30 people all gathered together talking about the things that have gone on, discussing politics and religion and faith and all, and all of those things, the stupid stuff that happened at work, the, you know, the latest sports ball game, whatever. And the two-income household was specifically designed to, to destroy that. Women in the workplace was specifically designed to destroy that. Because if the men come home exhausted and the women come home exhausted, they're going to snipe at each other about who's supposed to make the feel, who's supposed to make the food. And the kids have been getting indoctrinated all day by the psychopaths that they call teachers. When I compare the family get-togethers of my childhood to the family get-togethers of my adulthood, it's obviously different. There aren't five, six, seven kids in each family. There's not. <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the automobile hasn't, hasn't exact, well, no, it has actually followed with the times, but everybody's been looking for the nice, smooth, sleek, lean, tiny car that goes really, really fast or has great performance or whatever. And the big battleships where you pile the whole family in, you know, it's maybe not so much. People look down, in fact, <laughs> that could actually be the left's big problem with the big SUVs is because a big SUV, you can, you can, you know, <clears throat> one of the, like a Yukon XL, you can fit seven or eight people in there. That's mom, dad, and five kids. And it could be why it's not about the gas. It's never been about the gas. It's why they hate the SUVs so much. Because the SUV implies that maybe you get, maybe you're carrying around a truckload of kids. That could really be the reason why the minivan has sort of gone the way of the dodo. Well, that couldn't possibly be the case. I don't know. I don't know. It seems the largest automobiles that you see on the roads these days still only have the front row, which is just the driver and the passenger, and the back row, which is at most three people. Most automobiles. There's not a third row for the other two kids. You don't really see vans on the road anymore with big families. I mean, granted, the cost of automobiles these days is astronomical, so I don't know, like, 
you go to buy if you were to go to buy the if they were still making vans like um well like the a team van or what you typically see is like the old church van if they were still making those brand new those things would probably cost almost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you're definitely not affording that on one income at least not one at least an income that's not a complete soul sucking job the whole thing was about population it was about getting control of the population the breakup of the family the disruption of the nuclear family as they like to call it the lgbt ideology we ascribe other things to it, and to be sure, those other things are there. You know, given the fact, given the fact that uh, members of the LGBT community, so-called, they don't have the capacity to procreate on their own, and so they procreate ideolo- ideologically. Well, yes, that is also true. But the whole point behind that was to break up and destroy fertility rates. That was the whole point. The secondary effects are that you're robbed of the family. You're robbed of the joy of coming home as a father and coming home to your children. You're robbed of the joy as a mother of raising your children. These people also simultaneously, consequence, they hate beauty. And can you think of anything more beautiful than a large, loving family? Even when I see the pictures of families of people that I really that I terribly disagree with, or that I extraordinarily dislike, or even dare I say it, hate. When I see pictures of large families, it doesn't really matter whose family it is. It makes me smile. There's a photograph of Nancy Pelosi with her kids and her grandkids. It's it's out there somewhere. I saw it a few years ago. And despite the fact that I think that the Pelosi family is probably the most vile family on earth, the fact is, is I can't look at a picture like that with a large family and not smile. Because that's what's beautiful in the world. That microcosm of Holy Mother Church embodied in the family is beautiful. That building block of society that looks like a family is going to grow up to be a great nation in the, in the actual form of the word nation, it is beautiful. It was one of the things I loved about Afghanistan. That you, head around, that you head around small villages and there's platoons of children running around. And when I say small villages, I'm talking, you know, villages of maybe 30, 40 homes. And there's half a battalion of boys and girls just running around all over the place. And the teenagers are helping dad out in the fields. And you don't really see the women, but 
intellectually, I'm aware of the fact that the women, that the, you know, the, the mothers and the daughters are together in the home while the boys are out, you know, being rascals. That's what they're trying to destroy. You look at those movies from like the 80s, like Stand By Me. You know, the, the coming of age stories. And I say Stand By Me or The Sandlot or some of the others that were about ki- that were about kids that were growing up and going through, you know, various childhood in- adventures. They took that away from us. Even that was kind of a bastardization of the way childhood is supposed to be, but they even took that away from us. Now everything has to be structured because the world is significantly less safe. Because you don't grow up knowing your neighbors because it's no longer your aunts and uncles in those other houses. We move around so much as a society, we move around so much that on average you don't know your neighbors. But the right way to be is actually to have a family basically running a whole village. You know, your home's on one part of the street, mom and dad, or or grandma and grandpa are probably down the street a couple, you know, maybe a couple blocks, if not on the same block. Aunts and uncles next door and the other next door. Cousins all over the place. You grow up, you grow up with your cousins. Family get-togethers are easy because everybody literally just, you know, you, you make a pot of food and then you walk it down the street. To whoever's, to whoever's house is the one that everybody's getting together at. Probably grandma and grandpa. In America, we did so much transplanting, so much moving around, that when you had that small town, everybody was all up in your business. Well, it's different when everybody, when everybody in your town is cousins. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's what they were after. Why is Ancestry.com so popular? It's not because it's a Fed operation. It's probably a Fed operation also, but it's not because it's a Fed operation. Ancestry.com is popular. 23andMe is popular because we don't live around our family heritage anymore. The vast majority, especially in the United States of America, the vast majority of us have a loose connection to our nations of nas- uh, to our nations of origin. You know, there, I'll use my line for example. There's a loose connection in my family to Spain. There's a loose connection in my family to Portugal and and to France. And it literally, my family is actually only intellectually aware of the fact that we are Spanish, Portuguese, and French predominantly. And so we're not really attached to the cult to the culture of our heritage. I can trace the family line back 500 years. But the last time I saw my grandfather, I was an infant. And I never met my great-grandfather. And my family's broken up enough, we don't even actually talk about our family past our grandparents. There's no... One of the things that primogeniture preserved could best be embodied. There was a sequence um, in the movie Braveheart, and whether or not you think whether or not you think Braveheart's a good movie or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but there's a sequence between Robert the Bruce and his father. You're the Robert the Seventeenth Earl of Bruce. The 16 before you passed you land and title. And while it was talking principally about the material legacy, 
there was a deeper connection between Robert the 17th Earl of Bruce and Robert the 1st Earl of Bruce and all of the Earls of Bruce in between for 16 generations than most of us today have to our great-grandparents. In the United States especially, we are all, those particularly in the traditional Catholic movement, people are reaching back, trying to regain the patrimony that they lost, trying to regain their inheritance. And we're pursuing it principally in the faith. But there are second and third order effects that you also get to kind of dig back into your family and see what it is that your family discarded in the 1960s, 1970s. The members of my family who look back far enough um, to our earliest entrance into the United States, <clears throat> and I mean the United States proper, we remember the Irish cops of the 40s and 50s. We remember the troubles that we had when we first landed in New York in the early 20th century. And one of the things that I used to despise about, um, about people from my same background was the fact that everybody wanted to talk about how well they made it materially, despite all the challenges. Oh, I got, oh, you see the car over here? I got a really good deal on the car over here, and I was able to work out with the thing over here, and that's why the house is this, and blah, blah, blue, and that's where you got the really nice barbecue, and blah, blah, blue, and it was always about the material things. And I never liked that about the people in my background. But I understand today that we were fighting so hard to just make it. And the only emblems that we really had were the things that we were able to, to acquire the things that made our lives significantly more comfortable than they were in the old country. But in the old country, we would have been talking about crops. We would have been talking about the hall. Actually, a um, portion of my family was fishermen. So we would have been, uh, and I mean like industrial fishermen, We'd have been talking about the hull of fish or the crops. Go back far enough, we'd have been talking about the war. You go back further, and it's several hundred years of trade and crops and fishing. few hundred years more would have been talking about the uh, the trip across the ocean. Which would have been just barely as we talk about having just reconquered the peninsula. And politics between the king of Portugal and the king of Spain. 
and whether or not the Habsburgs were going to retain the crown or, or were going to gain the crown over the Bourbon. But all of those are things that I had to actually go back and research. I had to go back and find them because in the 50s and 60s, particularly in the 60s and most especially in the 70s, all of the connection to all of that family history was severed. And that's the way it is for most people in America. All of that connection to the family history, all of the connection to our heritage. And that's why we glommed on to the American ideal. Because you had this ideal that just seemed beautiful. We didn't notice that we were killing ourselves with liberty. Because we thought that freedom and license were the same thing. But today, we see it, and today it's nearly too late. Because we handed our freedom away as we embrace license. At the core of the traditional movement is trying to regain some of that. And some of us are anchored to the American ideal still, which is really kind of sad. But for those of us who are Catholic, especially for those of us in America who are actually from a long line of Catholicism, it's really where you get the strongest monarchists. It's really, excuse me, that's really where you get the Carlists. And the people who are absolutely huge on God and King. In general, that's where that comes from. And you get that with particularly the families that understand that they came from Catholic nations. So a lot of the Scots and the Irish and actually it's mostly the Scots, the Irish, the ones who are descended from the French Those of us who came from a long line of Catholicism, and there's more, obviously, you know, a lot of Catholic Germans and the Polish, etc. But those of us who were, who our families were comfortably ensconced in America during the 60s and 70s, we all had it washed away. Just washed away right off the jump. Because the church abandoned its principal concepts a lot of like a lot of what should have been being taught in the parochial schools should have been sufficient enough for us to understand the importance of the inheritance that was being passed down by our parents and by our grandparents but when the church kind of abandoned its teaching we just sort of let it go and yes there's a lot of stuff that you could you know, questionably be proud of. 
the heroes of the First and Second World Wars, the ones who served in, actually in all of the wars in the, in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries, there is a legacy there. The problem is, is that when the church gave up its teaching office, when it, and, and when I say its teaching office, I actually mean the the temporal stuff, not necessarily, not just the spiritual stuff, but the temporal stuff. And think about it today. How many people think of, you know, the years eight hundred to thirteen hundred as the dark ages? But nothing could be more, nothing could be further from the truth. You cannot look at a cathedral like, like uh, Notre Dame in Paris or Notre Dame in Chartres or the old cathedrals in Glastonbury and Canterbury and all throughout Europe, those giant, immense, ridiculously large buildings. You cannot look at the intricacy of those constructions and see the integral and integrated beauty of the cities around them and honestly say that those were dark ages. If you gauge the quality of a civilization by the things that they build, yeah, the Empire State Building is tall. Yeah, the Chrysler Building is tall. Yeah, we've got skyscrapers that reach all the way up to the heavens. But if you compare their aesthetic construction to the cathedral at Chartres, which is massive, to the cathedral, to, to uh, Notre Dame in Paris, or any of the cathedrals of old, you have to be daft. You're talking about these immense buildings. Huge, huge buildings. Grand palaces. To say nothing of the grand palaces that were also being built beyond just the churches. In this case, I'm thinking of like uh, um, Mont Saint-Michel in France, where, yes, you have the cathedral, but the cathedrals integrated the entire hill, the town, everything. Like, it's all integrated together. And it's this magnificent, palatial, glorious construction. And compare that with your average, you know, mall. The cookie-cutter houses that we, that we build now. Yeah, we build the houses, they're more, you know, efficient and they're cheaper and whatever. You can build them a little bit quicker. But they're disgusting looking. It's obvious we've lost so much. Finding something to build beautifully 
dedicating your time to building it, whether you're a mason or a carpenter, having something to dedicate your life towards, these things are important. Work shouldn't just be work. Yes, it is important, in particular for men, it's part of our psyche, that we have to work in order to have purpose. But it is more important to work at something worthwhile. That's why we had, like most of Generation X, when, when we were growing up and finding out, oh, hey, I did all of this stuff so I could sit in a cubicle all day under fluorescent lights, in this enervating environment, stand around a water cooler and just jib-jab about nothing. That's why Generation X got its name, because we got to the point, like, we came of age, we looked around, and we said, wait a minute, this is it? This is all we have? Well, if you do these things, then you get to have these vacations and blah, 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 and all these other things that the baby boomers and, and, the, and those older sold us sold us on. Well, you could do all of these things. Okay, great. But how many of us are looking around now going, really? This is it? The answer is it's not, of course. The answer is there is so much more, of course. But we were so distracted for so long, in particular in America, and it's one of the reasons, and the reason why I keep hammering in particular in America is because if you go back to France, if you go back to Spain, if you go back to Italy, if you're in Europe, even though they've been broken away from a lot of their patrimony, the fact is, is that their patrimony still surrounds them in the countryside in the land in which they live. But in America, everything is new. There aren't thousands of years of American heritage. Which is why for us in America, we've been so effective at spreading and disseminating all of these, all of just this vapidity. Things that are vanity. Vanity at worst, vapor at best, and somewhere in between those two. Material gains without any substance. That's why Catholicism in America is as important as it is, because Catholicism, believe it or not, even if you're an, even if you are quote unquote white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, the fact is is that Catholicism is where your patrimony is. King Richard the Lionheart was Catholic. Henry II Plantagenet, the effective creator of British common law, was Catholic. Robin Hood was Catholic. 
Look at the time period. There were there were no Protestants in England at the time of Robin Hood. King John was Catholic. I mean, he was you know he was mostly Catholic. He was Catholic most definitely in name, not in action. The story of the sword, like I'm not even joking. When you go when you go to the King Arthur, the Arthurian legends. What was extant in England at the time? It was not Anglicanism. It was not Episcopalian. King Arthur was Catholic. So even if you're quote-unquote white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, your patrimony, all of the great stories from your youth, all of the stories of your country was from a time period when you were Catholic. All of the great stories from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The stories of heroism, not treason. There are a lot of stories of treason that came in the aftermath of the Protestant Revolution, but the stories of heroism. are from a time when the land was Catholic, when your people were Catholic. We try to hide that today, but it's a fact. The sword and the stone is a Catholic tale. You want to recreate America, we bring it, we bring in the Catholic faith, the traditional Catholic faith with its pomp and its circumstance where, excuse me, well, yeah, with its, with its Incense and candles with the bells and chant with silence and reverence and penitence. And you bring to this country something that it had very, very briefly. Bring to this land something that was, from sea to shining sea, Catholic. Like, oh, this was never a Catholic country. Actually, except for New England, it was. This land was Cat Florida, was always Catholic. Texas, the Southeast, always Catholic. All the way up to Montana, always Catholic. Straight up the Mississippi River, Catholic. It's here in this land. It's part of the blood. It's in the earth. You want to see American greatness? Well, you have to come back to the faith. Because without God, you can do nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. And what's become ever so apparent is that without Christ, without Christ's church, we can't even comprehend beauty. And most of us desperately want to be in an area where, we're, where things are beautiful again. Even in that sick, twisted manner, these 
radical leftist activists who paint their hair and cut on their bodies and try to change themselves into something, well, something. They're not looking for ugliness. I mean, they're landing in ugliness because they don't know ex because they have no comprehension of what it is they need to be looking for. But they're not looking for ugliness. They're looking for beauty. They're looking for transcendence. And those things come from the truth. Are they going to fight it? Of course. Of course they are. Are they going to resist? Of course they are. People spend enough time in the darkness and you <laughs> you really don't want to get exposed to the light. And things are about to get very, very dark indeed. But there are going to be many people who are going to be open to beauty. It's funny. The podcasts where I talk the most about beauty, I find because I've got a picture of the Holy Family, a painting of the Holy Family. It's a, rep it's a replica painting of the Holy Family. And it's uh, St. Joseph holding the child Jesus and the, and the Blessed Mother is next to them. And they're surrounded by angels. And it's one of the most beautiful paintings. Actually, it's one of the most beautiful paintings I've ever seen. And it's simple and I find that when I talk when uh, whenever I'm talking about truth goodness and beauty on this podcast I spend most of my time looking at that painting if we can bring that beauty into the world I gotta be perfectly honest it's it's distinctively possible as traditionalists we probably should shift our focus. And one of the things that the Novus Ordo has us, it has us beat in, in spades is friendliness. But what they don't have us beat in is beauty. Because in the Novus Ordo church, they've kind of stripped all the beauty, like because of the fact that they stripped the altars and they sacked the holy places. There's not a whole lot of beauty in the world. And you get, you know, you've got some nice statues and this, that, and the other. But the, but if you look in, in in your average modern church, you've got the blank walls. And maybe, and maybe they're stained glass, but it's in some sort of abstract cubist pattern or something like that. And then you've got random statues scattered around. And it's not actually a beautiful location. In fact, if you strip the statuary out of the building, it would look like a conference hall. And maybe, it's just a thought, maybe we should take some time out to add some extra beauty to our living surroundings. Not just statuary, because, I mean, granted, you know, a home with statue, you know, like the Blessed Mother at the door or something like that, like, again, nice, but taking some time out, you know, Cultivating some ivy grows, you know, some trellises with some good flower, you know, some floral work and all that. Taking time out to replace some of your plain, plain Jane and practical trim with something that's a little bit more ornate. 
And taking time out not to make our surroundings beautiful because they're clean looking, but adding ornamentation, a subtle declaration that in this, that in this household, we honor beauty in addition to goodness, in addition to comfort. We honor beauty. Subtle changes that make a home when you drive by it and you kind of look over and you go, okay, those people over there, they got to be Catholic. How can you tell? You know, the crucifix over the house, the scroll work around the window, around the window shutters, the ivies wrapped around the, you know, the columns on the porch, the porch actually having columns. Because we've been far too willing to just sort of, hey, we're going to do this and it's, you know, nice, clean, new building and this, that and the other. And we're trying to build all of these new things. And they're good. You know, I, I look across at some of the businesses that are out there. They're good. But one of the, th- like, for example, I'll use Tridentine Brewing. By the way, shout out to Tridentine Brewing. Um, I still want to actually eventually collect up all your all your uh, advertising tins because they are gorgeous. But for example, Tridentine Brewing, which makes, which takes the time out to bring Catholic art. And of course, you know, the, you know, the puns on the, on the beers and all that stuff, the various, uh, <laughs> the various the various types of beers that that uh, they make and kind of pun off of the names and stuff like that but the fact is is all of their labels have catholic art on them and i remember seeing somebody on twitter was like how come you're using because it's just a beer it's going to end up in the trash and blah 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 no uh, well one i mean <clears throat> it's not like the guy is selling this stuff industrially and these bottles are filling our landfills on moss But we should take time out to make things extra beautiful. Oh, but it's going to be, but it's going to end up being discarded. But everything we make should be beautiful. What should actually be happening is everything that's in our landfills should actually be beautiful at one point in time or another. Oh, but we should never discard that. Well, then maybe that's the way that ends up working out. Maybe the landfills don't take up quite so much trash. But every th- if the humanity spent more time making all of the things that they make beautiful, even the small stuff, not everything has to have a sacred purpose. But if we took time out to make the things that we make beautiful, maybe we'd be a little bit better off. Even the things that we're going to discard, if we take more time in making those things beautiful, 
maybe we stop throwing so much away. Maybe we stop being a disposable culture. But nobody ever actually asks that question. Nobody ever looks for that. Nobody ever thinks maybe that's the problem. Well, is this going to end up in the landfill? Well, if everything was beautiful, maybe less of it would be in the landfill in the first place. Maybe we would spend less time accruing all of these things that we know eventually we're just going to have to throw away anyway if everything we had was beautiful in the first place. Maybe that is a more Catholic way of looking at things because, to be sure, when you look back, excuse me, when you look back at some of the accoutrements of the culture, the things that were actually largely discardable 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, You understand, like, a lot of the antiques and stuff that we collect today was garbage in the day, in in its day. If we took time out to make more things worth keeping, things to hand down to our children, not just beanie babies or various tchotchkes and collectibles, but I mean, legitimately beautiful things. Things that when you have them in your home, they actually help transition your house into a home. Because seriously, take stock of your household for just a moment. How much in your home has been in your family for generations? Even as a traditionalist, On average, I mean, maybe there's somebody out there within the sound of my voice who can look around their house and say, well, that's been in my family for 150 years, 200 years, 400 years. Ooh, I'm jealous of you. If you can crank out those kind of numbers for for some of the stuff that's been in your home. Because even when I inherit all of the things from my family because of the, the from the members of my family that are still alive i will have things in my home that are 60 years old i'll have photographs that are 80 years old But there will not be one item a hundred years old, two hundred years old, four hundred years old, not one. And of all things, that to me is the biggest tragedy of all. That there will not be one item in my house that is carried on for more than one other generation. Because that's the world that we live in. That's the world that we allowed ourselves to be conned into. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I go out and I buy antiques. Or, like, I've got a few antiques that are, you know, 
150, 200 years old. The, but I bought them. They weren't handed down to me. They were discarded by some other family that decided that their patrimony wasn't good enough. And so I came in and I scooped it up. What a tragedy. What a devastating, incomprehensible tragedy. You want to rebuild the culture? We're going to have an opportunity. Like I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast, change is coming. It's not really going to be all good. But these are the things that we need to be thinking about. Particularly as traditional Catholics, we have to be thinking about reestablishing the patrimony of our families. We have to be thinking about taking extra time to make our surroundings beautiful. Not just clean and neat and orderly, I mean legitimately, transcendently beautiful. Even if it's modest, modest things with an extra flourish to them are worth it. They're absolutely worth it. Taking time out to make the surroundings of your house not clean and neat and orderly in that sort of way, but I mean ornate. Catholic, like traditionally Catholic. You do that, it doesn't cost a whole lot. Really, truly, it doesn't. It doesn't cost a whole lot to do a couple of things here and there extra. But it's worth it. It's worth it when you come home. It's worth it when, you know, when your kids grow up and they leave the house and they're looking around and they're going, man, all this other stuff is ugly. At least at home we had all these things. And then you, and then you can teach them how to do those. And we need to stop moving around. Your family tree is not going to grow as good as it can if you move. Mom and dad, aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa should all be within, within walking distance. You know, it's cool to go abroad for a time, but bring your happy behind back home. You want to go see the other side of the country? You want to move across the country and check things out for a few years? That's fine. But bring your happy behind back home. You do that. I mean, worked for Abraham. Worked for Isaac. Worked for Jacob. That's the important part. You bring your happy behind back home. 
you build a nation locally. Oh, that was my alarm telling me that I've been talking way too long. Like I said, it's good to have a slow news week. Take time out to reflect on the things that are important. Yeah, the world's out there and it's still, you know, slowly coming to an end or quickly coming to an end, depending on your perspective. But the world's been coming to an end for a very long time. And sometimes you do got to stop, take a look around, make sure everything's lined up right. Things are going to get worse, so make sure you're staying in a state of grace. Go to confession. Pray your rosary. But most of all, reconnect your family to your patrimony. Reconnect your children to their inheritance, to who they are. For those of you who've taken time out to do research into your family histories, finish that up and find out who the people were in your family. Find out where you came from. Reconnect to your Catholicity and teach your kids. Teach their kids. Weave it into every part of your life. Don't just let it be the coffee mug that you have with like the family crest from the old country. Weave it into every part of your life. You can reconnect to the traditions of your culture. You can reconnect. I mean, it's easy. We're, I say it's easy. That's, <laughs> it does start, of course, with reconnecting with the faith. But if you reconnect, especially for those of us who really need to learn, like all of us, we're reconnecting with the traditional Latin mass to varying degrees, obviously. Some of us way more than others, obviously. But if you can trace your lineage back to a locality in the old country and then find something that was unique to that locality and sort of rebrand your family in its old traditions. For example, um, for the Catholics who are from, from the area of Valencia, There's different vestments. There's different practices. If you can reconnect to that, sure, it's going to feel artificial for a while. You may not even necessarily do it right, because who knows? Some of us have been separated from, from those traditions for hundreds of years. But if you don't reconnect with it, if you don't weave it into the fabric of your family, your kids aren't really going to see the importance. Their kids aren't really going to see the importance. And don't worry about getting it right. Just make it beautiful. And it'll work its own, it'll work itself out. Ooh, I feel like I'm, I feel like this podcast was like super nostalgic really wasn't the intention. <clears throat> Excuse me. And for some of us, 
yeah, it's going to be too late to hand a lot of it on. That's true. But for most of you out there, you should be able to get it to bear some really good fruit. It's worth the effort looking into it. It is, without a doubt. And if you've got a job, because it's one thing to do the thing, like, seriously, it's one thing to do the things that you like, but you can definitely tell the things that are worth it. And you want to be doing the things that you can pass on. Anyway, we're going to stop there. Seems kind of abrupt. But I'm going on an hour and 15 minutes. Take the time out. Reflect on it. We've got a large patrimony. Even those of us who can trace our roots to the smallest countries have a large patrimony. And it is worth reconnecting with. It's worth making sure to hand it down. Not just discovering new stuff, but going back and grabbing the things that may have gotten lost along the way. Especially through the 60s and 70s. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.